Real quick, before we get into the show, I wanted to share a new service called Getita that Ken and I have been using that has made us over $10,000 in Amazon reimbursements. The service requires no monthly subscription, and Getita collects a small percentage of the money they recover for you. It takes less than five minutes to set up and works on all Amazon marketplaces. Go to getita.com, G-E-T-I-D-A, and enter promo code FTM400. That's FTM for firing the man 400 to get your first $400 in reimbursements commission free. How much money does Amazon owe you? The free markets are going to work here. And one reason that I always used Amazon fulfillment was because they were easy to deal with. If they're going to continue to harp on this IPI score, you're going to see people migrate over to companies that are easier to deal with and have better fulfillment fees. You know, that's why I went to Etsy. I went over there simply because they had better fees. When I'm thinking about, all right, where do I want to place my efforts in the next couple months? Fees is a huge part of that. Once it jump out at me is um, eBay, you know, looks like they increased 4% more than Amazon in April. That <laughs> That's huge. Welcome everyone to the Firing the Man podcast, a show for anyone who wants to be their own boss. If you sit in a cubicle every day and know you are capable of more, then join us. This show will help you build a business and grow your passive income streams in just a few short hours per day. And now your hosts, serial entrepreneurs, David Schomer and Ken Wilson. Welcome everyone to the Firing the Man podcast. On today's episode, Ken and I are diving into some current news going on in the e-commerce space. We frequent a website called Marketplace Pulse on a pretty regular basis and pulled up some key articles that we've come across in the last few weeks. The first one we're going to dive into is an article titled, Amazon is racing to remove the fulfillment bottleneck. Now, Ken, I can tell you in my experience, I have felt this fulfillment bottleneck. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's something that we, you know, discussed on a previous podcast, but it's, uh, if you're selling on Amazon right now, it's impacting you hands down. Absolutely. I remember, and March 17th was a landmark day when I found out that my items that I was sending in and selling were non-essential, man, that stung that, that, <laughs> that really hurt my feelings and, and made me a little more sensitive to people that, had non-essential jobs, right? And, and were, were no longer able to, to go in and, and perform their jobs. And so, you know, I, I look at this and, and I see it's definitely had cons in the near term. But as I read through the lines on this, this means that what we're doing, there's demand, right? There's demand on the buying side of things. More people are shopping on Amazon and also more sellers are selling on Amazon. And so, to me, it kind of confirms that, hey, we're on the right track here. You know, I think e-commerce is good. You think e-commerce is good. And in particular, we both think Amazon's a pretty good spot to sell. <laughs> and uh, it sounds like there are other people that share that same opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that's kind of ironic is, I mean, I know we're in a pen, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but what's ironic is one of the largest companies on the earth is having growing pains, you know, like it's growing so fast that it can't keep up. Like one of the quotes in this article, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this name, but it's Brian Olsavsky, the CFO at Amazon. He said, quote, we've run out of space. 
<laughs> and and that that's huge. When Amazon says we've run out of space, I mean, that's crazy. And some of the other stats here, it said in, in 2019, they increased their square footage by 15%. And then they expect to increase their square footage in 2020 by 50%. That's huge. That's huge. And and you know, I I've seen. I was back in Iowa City a couple weeks ago, and they just put in a new fulfillment center there, and it is massive. And I can tell you that that was probably not an overnight project going up. But my dad drives by it every day on his way to work, and he said he was shocked by the number of contractors and people that they had out there working on that particular project. And so, Amazon's responding to this, but there is going to be a near-term crunch where. They're just running out of space, and, and they've they've put certain restrictions on people's accounts. You know, one thing in particular is this inventory performance index. I had a meeting this morning with uh, my PPC manager, and that's a question that he's asking everybody is, what's your inventory performance index score? And mine was uh, 650 or right around 650. And I think a it's an arbitrary number, but but below 500, you're going to get major restrictions put on your accounts. And I asked him, I, I said, is it is a low inventory performance index score, is that a function of sending in too much inventory or constantly stocking out? And he said, it is more often the case that people are sending in too much inventory. They're getting hit with long-term storage fees. And that's the genesis of this whole problem is they're out of space. And so they're they're wanting people to send in just enough inventory to where they're in stock, but they don't have a surplus. And it's interesting because you've got a lot of amateur inventory management people, you know, flooding Amazon with inventory. And uh, it's one of those components where they need to rely on third-party sellers like us to, to do a better job. And so I had seen that score floating around in my Amazon Seller Central account. It never meant anything to me because it never had any implications, but it does now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of my accounts, I I have the uh, IPI scores like, you know, 780 or something. It's really high. And then I have another account that the IPI score is 525. And I looked at that and I'm like, um, and, and I, I think it's kind of crazy. The IPI score is made up of, of four metrics and it's sell-through rate, out-of-stock rate, and... You know, there's a couple other off the top of my head. I can't remember those two, but some of those metrics out of the four, Amazon directly impacts two of them with their fulfillment, right? So if I send something in and they're not receiving it, it's out of stock. So that that's one of the metrics on the IPI. So the account that I have a 525 in, I can guarantee you that some some of it's because uh, stranded inventory. One of them is stranded inventory. I have zero stranded inventory on that account. Some of them, the sell-through rate is is was in the green, but the out-of-stock rate was way low in the red, right? So back in April and May, everybody sold out of everything and had a t- tough time getting more inventory. And when you send it in, it's taken them six weeks to receive it. So it's kind of an unfair uh, index, but nonetheless, it's there and it's impacting us. Absolutely. I think, you know, on, on something like this, we, we focus on the things that we're in control of and the things that are out of our control. We just forget about it. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. Cause there's, there's not shit you can do about it. Exactly. A- absolutely. Now in this article, there was a, a couple of, it looks like there were third party sellers and companies that were commenting on this, how this was impacting them. 
I'll go through a couple of them. The top one says we have 40 plus containers in limbo now. No notice from Amazon and ASIN restriction only looks at last 30 days of sales, not historical or seasonal, some three weeks. The increase in sales from COVID also wiped out our inventory on best sellers, which has now been out of stock for greater than 30 days and gets a 200 unit restriction. Same thing we've talked about, right? Even though days 31 to 60 sold over 500. And then they go in on the list here, specific fulfillment center is log jammed. Can't get container appointments now until early September. So it's almost exactly the same uh, numbers we were talking about on the last podcast episode. Whereas, you know, you sell 500 units a month and then you're out of stock for 60 days and then you can't ship any more in. Absolutely. You know, I think one thing you're going to see as a result of this, and maybe this is just my inner libertarian coming out, but the free markets are going to work here. And one reason that I always used Amazon fulfillment was because they were easy to deal with. You know, in my opinion, probably one of the best logistics companies in the world until recently when they've had this hiccup from COVID. But you're going to see people adding 3PL to their team. You, You did it this month is you've added a 3PL service. And I think if they're going to continue to harp on this IPI score, you're going to see people migrate over to companies that are easier to deal with and have better fulfillment fees. And so I know one of my products is right on the brink of on a sizing tier. And in some of the SKUs, it's it's in the lower tier. And in some of the SKUs, it's in the higher tier. And I've measured it myself, and I know it's below 0.7 inches, but you really got to squeeze it. And if I could find a 3PL that had a better fulfillment fees, that's adding profit to my bottom line. And so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. With them adding 50% increase in capacity, they're going to need to continue to be somewhat seller-focused because if they're not, that's going to be unused capacity. And so (laughs) it is tough right now as a third-party seller. Um, There's a lot of rules to play by. But again, the free markets are going to act. There's going to be a supply and demand for logistics services. And we'll see if Amazon comes out on top. Yeah, absolutely. And and to kind of circle back a little bit, we talked about the increased capacity that the CFO mentioned, and uh, they said that, that those capacity, the 50% capacity for 2020 was not going to come online until Q3 and Q4. So, you know, we're seeing this pinch right now. Uh, you know, we're we're at the beginning of, uh, well, we're in the Q3 right now. So some of that stuff's coming online, but like it's not going to be dialed in. Like something coming, you bring a you bring a warehouse online. It takes a while to get it dialed in, get workers in, get them trained, get get everything functioning properly. So you know this is going to be a you know long term in twenty twenty one before all that capacity is up and functioning properly. So yeah, um, I definitely agree with you in terms of Amazon is as um, it's a chink in their armor, right? They're growing. They they grew so fast due to the pandemic that. It log jammed everything. So now you have third-party sellers looking at Walmart, 3PLs, Shopify, all these other, you know, Google, whatever, whatever the case is. Um, there's other avenues, you know. So another one of the, just a, a quick one here from another third-party seller. So it's in the same boat, all at, uh, they list a Amazon Fulfillment Center, multiple shipments that have been delivered for over a month and have not been checked in almost half my products out of stock, which is decimating my 
product rankings. Same thing we were talked about. So this IPI score, you know, you can't get stuff shipped in. And when you're out of stock, it impacts your rankings. It's just, so Amazon's inability to handle fulfillment is impacting your business, your e-commerce business. And that, that takes a toll. And at some point as a business owner, you have to make a decision. You know, when do I pivot and switch gears or how do I hold this off until it improves? You know? Absolutely. The last thing I want to comment on on this article is just thinking about a 50% increase in warehouse volume. I mean, they already have a ton of warehouse volume and capacity. I shouldn't say capacity, but they have a lot of warehouses. So to have a 50% increase, that is a long-term bet on e-commerce. And and I say that because at some point we're going to get a vaccine. This epidemic is going to be over and things may revert back to normal, but they may not. And I think, in my opinion, once someone buys something online, they never again buy it in in a brick and mortar retail store. And so, you know, there when you think of a warehouse, that's a 50 or 100 year asset. And so, yes, they're building these warehouses, but that is a that is a very long-term bet on the future of e-commerce and the future of fulfillment. And so, I take that as a vote of confidence from Amazon that this marketplace, online marketplace is going to continue to grow and once this pandemic is over, people that were brought into e-commerce in terms of buyers, they're not going to go back. Although I'm feeling the pinch right now in my own business, I do like to see this because, again, like I said, I think e-commerce is a great industry to be in right now. According to you know the C-suite at Amazon, they do too. And so <laughs> I, uh, I, I like this. I like seeing this. Yeah, I, I like the long-term play, and and uh, I just hope that, like what you touched on earlier, that it could give uh, the third-party sellers a little bit of more leverage moving forward. If they increase their capacity, they, they kind of need us to fill that capacity, right? So it could sweeten the pot for us. You know, Congress might have another answer to that as well, but we, we, we won't go into that. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, moving on to the next article. The next article we're going to cover is titled, Walmart Doubles Its Marketplace Size in a Year. And the first sentence of this is, Walmart Marketplace has surpassed 50,000 sellers, doubling in size in July 2019. The partnership with Shopify announced on June 15th has accelerated its growth, bringing over 5,000 new sellers during the six weeks since. This is huge. Yeah, Absolutely. For so long, Amazon has been, you know, the gargantuan of e-commerce and they have owned such a large market share. And I think you're seeing the free markets work the way that free markets work right now is that, uh, you know, as Amazon becomes more difficult to deal with, you're seeing, you know, Shopify pop up, Walmart pop up and increase their market share. So I personally, I love to see this. Yeah, same here. I, I love competition. You know, it says here, uh, Jeff Clements, the the VP of the Walmart Marketplace, says uh, growing our marketplace is a strategic priority, and we're going to be growing smart as we grow. I think that's that's huge. They know, you know, Amazon's the 800-pound gorilla, and they're, you know, I would say Walmart is the 800-pound gorilla, and that Amazon kind of snuck in on the on the uh, e-commerce side, right? Now, Walmart has an opportunity to to come back and, you know, this article, uh, it also mentions 
Amazon having difficulties with fulfillment recently and Walmart's kind of swooping in and taking advantage of that. So I think that's really smart and also growing at a controlled manner like this suggests, you know, that, that is smart. So you, so you don't, you know, you don't grow too fast where you have issues. Absolutely. You know, if you think about this business model, there's supply and demand on both sides, right? There's supply and demand on the customers that are shopping, right? But there's also supply and demand of third-party sellers like us. And I like to see this competition because, in my opinion, some of the referral fees on Amazon are way too high. And there's not a great alternative, though. You know, if you think of Amazon as a mall, it is giant. It is huge. And by having alternatives, this gives third-party sellers alternatives to sell their products elsewhere. And so, you know, adding this level of competition, I think... Maybe I'm wrong, but I think you're going to see those referral fees chipped away at and decrease. You know, that's why I went to Etsy. I don't know the specific referral rate, but it's low, much lower than Amazon. And and I went over there simply because they had better fees. And doesn't mean that I'm abandoning Amazon, but it's just when I'm thinking about, all right, where do I want to place my efforts in the next couple months? Fees is a huge part of that. And so I, I love to see this competition and I'm glad that Walmart and Shopify married up and partnered. So, Ken, what do you think about this partnership between Walmart and Shopify? Yeah, you know, I think it's great. I think the the technology and the and the reach that Shopify has, you know, kind of partnering with Walmart and integrating the Shopify stores and the that technology into the marketplace on Walmart is huge, and it increases their their marketplace and their product portfolio really quick, right? So I, I think it's great news. It's just like what you said, the uh, the market's at work. Absolutely. Absolutely. A couple of stats we'll go through right here just to give some specifics. So it says in 2020 so far, more than 15,000 new sellers joined the marketplace. And at the start of the year, they were at about 1,400 sellers a month. And then it says here in July, their target is to exceed 3,600 so it looks like it's tripled since January. So they're starting to compound the sellers that they're allowing onto the, you know, that they're vetting and allowing into the marketplace. Now, I'm not selling on Walmart yet. I've heard it's uh, it's a it's a lengthy process, weeks, few weeks, month. But I like that. I like that they're vetting sellers, and it's and hopefully it's not going to be you know like the early days of Amazon where it's the Wild West and you have these Chinese sellers with fifty accounts and you know it's doing all this black hat stuff. Maybe you you know Walmart studied Amazon a little bit and, and figured out let's do this in a controlled manner and and kind of vet out some of that that crap. Absolutely, yeah. I would love for them to adopt a, a similar model from a private label standpoint where they're acquiring trademarks, they're vetting companies. I don't like going over hurdles or barriers to entry myself, but once I'm over that barrier, boy, am I glad that they exist, right? So I'll, I'll say like when I was going through a brand registry, that was a pain. You had to get a trademark, you had to apply, you had to wait. But now that I'm on the other side of that, I'm glad it exists. You know, those barriers keep out other sellers. And so <laughs> I, I'm a... I talk out both sides of my mouth on this one. I, I, I like that they exist only after I, I've passed those landmarks. Yeah, I, I agree. I look at it as I actually like challenges and barriers to entry because the harder they are, 
the less amount of competition you're going to have when you cross that, right? Like I, as I'm going through something like that, I'm like, this sucks, but you know what? Not a lot of people are going to do that. So I'm going to, I want to do it. Right. So any last minute thoughts on that, David? No, I think that about wraps it up. All right. The next article is Amazon lost web traffic market share. The article goes into detail. Amazon lost some market share as measured by web traffic to the top 10 biggest online retail rivals, down 52% in January to 47% in June. Yet as the pandemic brought accelerated e-commerce adoption, top players remain the same. And, you know, similar theme to some of these other articles that we've talked about, you're, you're seeing new players here. And as Amazon shuts down or, you know, puts up these hurdles for sellers to overcome, you're seeing some, some new players in the market. And so as we look at this article, what are some that stand out to you? Yeah. You know, the, this, uh, these statistics are, are (laughs) very, uh, enlightening. You know, again, this is, uh, news brought to you by marketplace pulse that we're reading this graph off of, but you know, some of the ones that jump out at me is, um, eBay, you know, looks like they, they increased 4% more than Amazon in April. That <laughs> that's huge. Walmart, they went up uh, 18%. Etsy, 40%. Home Depot, 41%. Lowe's 46. Wayfair, 56%. That's huge numbers. That is huge. You know, one thing that stood out to me was, you know, we talk a lot about eBay, Walmart, Etsy, but some of these sleepers like Home Depot, Target, Lowe's, Best Buy, Macy's, Costco, when I think of those, that's more of a retail-facing platform. But I think that to the extent that you had a product that would fit in the Home Depot product catalog, that may be something worth exploring. And I can't speak to the logistics of how to get in with Home Depot or Lowe's or Target. But, you know, the fact remains is people are shopping on the HomeDepot.com or on Lowe's.com. And to the extent that Lowe's isn't sourcing those products themselves, they're going to look to third-party sellers. And so I also would think if I was sitting on a panel at Home Depot looking at other successful companies like Amazon who does rely on third-party sellers, that may be something I would be considering adding as we move forward. And so when you see, you know, Walmart's been the ultimate conversion where they have been, you know, it used to be five years ago, if you bought from Walmart, you were buying from Walmart. And as we've seen this transition of them into more of an e-commerce facing business model, you're seeing third-party sellers who can step up to the plate and sell there. And so I would expect that Home Depot, Lowe's, and some of these other more traditional retail branches are going to be looking towards third-party sellers as a solution. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, this is obviously just kind of a kind of a short-term chink in Amazon's armor that their that their fulfillment centers failed during this pandemic, you know, they couldn't keep up with demand. But like we talked about earlier, they're adding 50% capacity coming online in Q3 and Q4. So this is a kind of a short-term play, but you know, it, it did give all of these other names that we listed, it, it gave them an opportunity to to shine a little bit. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of them are known for brick and mortar stores and that's what they're going to stay as. And, and Amazon's going to kind of shoot back up long term, I think. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of Firing the Man. Best of luck in your businesses and we'll see you next time.
Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to today's Firing the Man podcast. If you like this episode, head on over to firingtheman.com and check out our resource library for exclusive Firing the Man discounts on popular e-commerce subscription services. That is firingtheman.com backslash resource. You can also find a comprehensive library of over 50 books that Ken and I have read in the last few years that have made a meaningful impact on our business. For that, head on over to www.firingtheman.com slash library. Lastly, check us out on social media at Firing the Man and on YouTube at Firing the Man for exclusive content. This is David Schomer and Ken Wilson. We're out. Before you go, we wanted to share a new service that Ken and I have been using called Getita that has made us over $10,000 in Amazon reimbursements. The service requires no monthly subscription and Getita collects a small percentage of the money they recover for you. It takes less than five minutes to set up and works on all Amazon marketplaces. Go to getita.com, G-E-T-I-D-A.com and enter promo code FTM400. That's FTM for Firing the Man 400 to get your first $400 in reimbursements commission free. How much money does Amazon owe you?